Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Ben Standing here. Yes, I cover the Washington Commanders for the Athletic, which means it has been another whirlwind couple of days for us here on The Beat. Uh, the D.C. Attorney General uh, filed a suit against the Commanders in the NFL, Dan Snyder, Roger Goodell. There's also a game uh, this week, Commanders Monday Night Football at Philadelphia. I'll get into all that and more, including a Chase Young update that, I don't know, from my perspective is not so hot, but we'll do all that with our friend Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. In addition to that, we'll talk about the commanders from the the analytics bent with Ben Baldwin, who's one of the go-to analytics guys out there. His Twitter is at Ben B. Baldwin. You can go check that out. Uh, He contributes to The Athletic. As well, we'll talk about a bunch of things, including, it feels like it was 100 years ago, but what happened at the end of the Minnesota game with Ron Rivera as timeouts. Ron Rivera took a timeout uh, after the two-minute warning, rather before. Some people question that. Rivera said it was analytics uh, determination, and I asked Ben to run his numbers and see what he came up with, so we'll share that in a few minutes as well. Uh, Of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere you do your podcasting. You can listen ad-free on The Athletic. Uh, In addition, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic. Um, I've got a bunch of articles this week, David Aldridge as well, uh, looking at this team a lot, of course, with the news of the week regarding the Attorney General and the fact that uh, the commanders use Brian Robinson's name in their initial pushback statement, and you know that that obviously raised a ruckus, I think appropriately. Um, but we'll you can check all that out on the Athletic. Um, I will be in Philadelphia, of course, for the Monday night game. Um, you know, I mean, look, in terms of this season, clearly they 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 need to get a win. <laughs> the fact that the Eagles are undefeated doesn't seem to bode well for that opportunity, but you never know with division games. I don't think Philly will go undefeated this year, so at some point, somebody will take them down. Who knows? Maybe it's this guy, this team. The defense has been lights out the last few weeks. And, uh, you know, look, they Philadelphia scored 24 points in the first game in the second quarter and were shut out otherwise. Washington has been very good against the run, number two in DVOA, so... You know, if they can continue that trend and get put more emphasis on slowing down A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, something they did not do well in the first game, you know, who knows? Perhaps they can be, pull off the surprise, but they'll need some uh, inspired play from their offense. And, you know, they'll need Philly to make a few mistakes, which is not something that they do typically uh, on game day. So, uh, let's just get to this here. Um, we'll start with my conversation with Michael Phillips, and then we'll get to Ben Baldwin. All that right now on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right. We're welcome back. Our returning champion to the podcast, Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times Dispatch. We're going to talk about the uh, D.C. Attorney General filing suit against the commanders in the NFL, Dan Snyder. We'll talk about there's a game this weekend still, Michael. I don't know if you're okay. aware of that. Or not this weekend. Football. Sorry, Monday. Football. Uh, Chase Young update as well. Uh, I will just say at the top, we just had uh, – uh, we, we needed to have some fun here on the beat. So we just had a good half an hour <laughs> of something that Michael is going to write about Monday in the Rich and Times Dispatch. So make sure you are, are aware of this. It's going to be worth your time. 
Uh, welcome back. Thank you for the, the 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 time. How are you? People ask me all the time, like, how do I yeah. deal with this? Yeah. How how are you feeling? I I appreciate the sell the team thing because I feel like it's been an exhausting two years. Like even by this beat standards, um, and it's it's not going to slow down. Obviously, it's going to speed up in the short term. We've got kind of. I guess cage dog Dan as the ESPN report referred to him as and whatever the sale happens that will be you know everything in high gear and then you know all the changes that come from that but it it at least maybe for the first time there's a hint of a light at the end of the tunnel and um, maybe it's like those Roadrunner cartoons where you know the coyote just smashes into the wall and it was paint, a painted on light but I'm I'm running at that light and I'm running hard uh, yeah 100% right I mean if if you believe sort of the projected timelines where if this were to go forward that they sell the team that like March it is November so like a lot can happen there's multiple investigations who knows what other statements they're going to put out uh who you know, could be there's a lot going on yeah. um we'll get to the football in a sec just sort of the news of of the the mm-hmm. last 24 hours the fact that uh, the district of columbia attorney general filed suit against this team uh, and other entities, uh, basically uh, sort of a consumer protection situation, uh, essentially saying that the the team, the league, misled consumers in D.C. into thinking that there was going to be resolution or, or punishment or something in what was going on with this organization, the various uh, allegations of harassment and so on, but that nothing, I guess, was, was done. Um, we'll get to the statement in <laughs> a second. Look, again, I've said this now a few times in doing some conversations. Not a lawyer. Breaking news. I, I, I didn't really kind of get the sense, my layman view, that like this was that big of a deal. It felt kind of a rehash of a lot of things we already knew. Yeah. And then I checked with a few lawyer people, and they were all kind of like, this really doesn't seem like it's a lot. But we'll, we'll, I guess we'll ultimately see what happens here. What, what was your kind of view of the whole thing? I also spoke with lawyers. I also am not a lawyer. I also heard the things you heard. Uh, so I'll just nod my head and confirm those things. This is kind of a nothing. There, there's no legal grounds to bring down the NFL over consumer protection laws because of the Wilkinson report. But, um, you know, I, I think to me, you know, it was a potential win for the team yesterday. Guy toots his own horn for 24 hours about come come to my big announcement and then nothing happens but instead all the oxygen in the room is taken up by this brian robinson statement which you know it, it's a self-inflicted you know a mistake there um because i i think they could have had a good day yesterday potentially they for, did they didn't have a good day yesterday by the way in case, no, you're, in case you're keeping score the, 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 <laughs> they did not you know and to that point i, I learned this a long time ago when uh, I came to this realization, I guess. I remember for me, it was when RG3 was benched for Kirk Cousins. And I think locally, we were all like, yeah, of course, this makes sense. We're watching them play. Not that Cousins was Joe Montana, but like he clearly looked like the better quarterback. But nationally, the perception was that Cousins was some turnover machine and Robert was the next was the savior. Yeah. And thus, how stupid could they be? And I remember watching that going, like the, the, the pundit shows going, oh, they actually really don't know anything. They're just kind of winging it. And that felt the same thing with here. I just did a, uh, uh, a an out-of-town television thing mm-hmm. for this. And the, the, the question that was being asked was started with, what do, you, what do you make of this big deal with the D.C.? And I was like, well, you know, kind of what I just said. Yeah. And then the, the follow-up was, well, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> Seems like this is a pretty big deal. And I was yeah. like, well, I, I don't know. And I think on some level that's what this was. 
a nat- because the story has gone national from a national perspective. Wow, here goes Dan Snyder. It's all going downhill. He's out, and we're all kind of like, eh. like I think it's I think there's whatever damage has already been done. This didn't really do much more other than the fact that I guess for the first time something is in the legal system. Yeah. And so from that, who knows? But it doesn't seem like it's a lot more. Yeah, I'd lump it in the ESPN report. Like you know, eagle-eyed consumers of Dan Snyder news did not learn a lot from the ESPN report, but the fact that it was ESPN devoting a day of programming to talking about Dan Snyder, like that, that made news. That that itself was the news. The news is network that's in bed with the NFL is eating one of its own here, essentially. So, so you know, the story becomes the news in a lot of ways. Um, that yeah, the, the I don't know that there are major shock waves, you know, from here on, on this situation, but just there, there's everybody's aware of the score now at this point nobody's living in in ignorance um a little bit like uh, you know you just like if they as they go towards this sale like i i think it's becoming harder and harder for him to back off of that ledge um because i think he see what he sees what waits for him on the other side 100 percent. i will just say that my sense is and you know uh two of the former employees who've been very out in front on this topic for the last couple of years did seem to get a lot of satisfaction out of it. And my sense is that, like, f- from that perspective, that war- the, the D.C. Uh, an attorney general chose to put this out there and, and, and to go forward with this and put it in the legal system, I think they, they do view it as a positive sign. So I don't want to discount that. We'll see where this goes. But like we said, I think just broadly, I don't think this changes the idea if he's going to sell the team um, or not. I will say this, though. We're about to talk about the Brian Robinson statement in which on Wednesday, on I lost track of the days on Tuesday yep. when it was announced that the, when the attorney general's office announced that they would have a press conference with a Wednesday. We're a day off this week because of Monday night. Oh, this was on Wednesday. Wednesday I, yeah. I've been doing this all week. Too. <laughs> um, so they put out the statement saying they're going to have a press conference with a quote major announcement and quote. And we get the statement a few hours later from this place from a spokesperson Immediately at the top of the statement invoking Brian Robinson getting shot and basically saying, inferring the attorney general should have better things to do than focus on us, deal with the crime in your city and all that. Here's where I think is the positive on this, if I'm a fan. The reason why they they sent that statement out is Dan Snyder cannot seem to stand anybody saying he's either done something wrong or just questioning him almost in general. Mm -hmm. As far as I know. There have been zero statements about the idea that they're going to sell the team flat out. And I know that they put their, their own statement saying, we're considering all our options. But all options could mean minority share or it could mean they get to the finish line and decide, eh, we're not going to do this. The fact that everybody's reporting on some level, from Adam Schefter on down, including you know, a lot of us here, like, yeah, it looks pretty likely that he's going to do it. And nobody is coming out and saying, you guys are way off. Nobody is saying, slow down or it's not happening. To me, that's almost the biggest takeaway. And the fact that he still then had the gumption to do the statement, the Brian Robin statement shows it's still in him. But on this topic, he's not doing that. And I think that to me is almost the the biggest sign that they are going to sell. Yeah, it it reminds me of the name change that what was it? They commissioned a group to look into the name like there was only one outcome from there. Like you aren't going to commission a group to look into the name and then come back and be like, we're good. Um that was always the first step and the dominoes were going to start falling. It, it feels like that's where we are here too now. And it's, I, I feel like in a weird way, we maybe undersold the importance of that day 
in the moment because of that, because everybody's talking themselves out of it. Like, uh, you know, like you didn't say it. So we'll you like, you know, the rug's going to get pulled out. Like in retrospect, that's a big old day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as for the statement itself, you know, you and I were here in Ashburn yesterday. Uh, and so for those of us here, the day was about at the simultaneous time that the AG is making his announcement, you know, we're going to the locker room right around that time and, and talking to Brian Robinson and others uh, about this. I, I, look, I'll just say that it's, you know, a pretty, I don't know if heinous is the right word, but a pretty ridiculous uh, thought to do this, to bring him into this um, off the chart. If they just left that, taking that out, the rest of the statement, I think, could was, was reasonable. Sure, standard fair. Yeah. So, the, so, yeah, so basically just that. I mean, I don't know if we're talking, it's hard to say what they've reached a new low or I don't know what, but it was a pretty terrible thought. Just what was your reaction when you, when you realized kind of what was that statement was about? Yeah, and it, it, it involved the team, which so far, you know, Ron's been very successful at, oh, we just play football, we don't. We, we ignore everything else, and you couldn't ignore that one. And I, I kudos to Charles Leno for speaking up. Kudos to Taylor Heineke for speaking up. Uh, you know, that's that's a 23-year-old kid. Um, he needs to know that his teammates have his back, and they do. Um, so I don't know that that was a good team-building activity. I think it distracted them from a day of preparation uh, and a pretty key week here. Um, I feel for Ron, who was coming back from his mom's funeral and was on an airplane when this happened. Yeah. Uh, that's... That sucks. Um, yeah, I, you know, bad situation all around. Loved seeing his teammates have his back, though, instead of hiding behind a no comment. I, I thought that was that was impressive. All right. And the fact that Jason Wright came out a couple hours later mm-hmm. and put out his own statement, kind of being like, uh, yeah. well, so you see, uh, what, yeah, no, that's really not not, the, not a great thing. It's like that was just more sign of the dysfunction that one, one hand's not talking to the other or yeah. who knows what's going on. Um we we talked to Robinson. I think for one, I thought it was interesting from a football perspective. We had the opportunity as we're discussing this with him, to sort of like, hey, well, how are you doing? And because I think the topic, instead of just we're coming in like the normal press conference, how are you doing? And he might be like, oh, I'm good, because he was a little maybe more vulnerable talking mm-hmm. about this other thing. He he did say that he was glad that early on he was on a bit of a pitch count, that he wasn't quite right. And he even said he's, he he felt great physically in preseason, and he's not there yet. So when we're looking at his 3.3 yards per carry and hasn't had the consistency, he did kind of say, okay, yeah, I'm not back yet. And I don't know if we, maybe I'm wrong, I don't know if we really had that sense definitely before because they were kind of acting like, oh, yeah, he's good. I mean, he was the lead back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, that's and so, is. Was and yeah, is the lead back. Yeah. yeah. So I just thought that was notable. Yeah. You know, it, I think everybody who's, who's watched the games carefully the last couple of weeks can see he's not everything he's going to be. Uh, you know, he's, he's looked not right at times. And I do think part of that is the scheme. And, and I don't think Scott Turner is setting them up to succeed at the moment. Um, but I think part of it is is him as well. And I am still buying long-term stock on that kid, um, but I maybe am shorting my short-term stock. Um, you do get the sense he's not 100% right now. Yeah, which, again, would be totally reasonable. And yeah, I, yeah, that, that's what made it so wild that he was able to come back so quickly. Uh, speaking of not being uh, all the way back, let's talk about Chase Young for let's a quick second. Uh, it is week 10. I mean, months ago, we were all like, ooh, could he start? The, could he be ready for week one? And then... Right, well, training camp or so, well, yeah, probably not going to happen. And Ron gives the maybe six weeks kind of built. Okay, six weeks. Well, we're way past six weeks. Yeah. And the clock has started on him being at practice, the 21-day clock. 
I was not in the room for Jack Del Rio today, so I'll let you give the give the view. But my take has been, I don't think he's going to be playing this week. And based on what Del Rio said, I really don't think so. Yeah, Del Rio is pretty pretty honest about how he, he doesn't have it right now. You know, he, he's not his normal explosive Chase Young. I am going to go contrarian here, as I do occasionally. I think he does play 12 to 15 snaps on Monday. Uh, I think... Uh, he really wants it, and I think for the organization, it's important to continue to build those bridges between him and the organization. Um, and and I, I think he'll be out there for a little while, but you know, temper your expectations, America, because because the guy who's coming out there is not Chase Young, defensive rookie of the year. That's for sure. Um, I uh, had to do a predictions thing for the second half of the year this week for the Athletic, and one of my topics was that Chase Young by the end of the year will still leave us with more questions than answers. And while as an individual basis, you could be like, well, that's fine. I mean, he's, you know, you're, you can't expect him to come back 100% off this injury. By the way, next week will essentially be one year yeah. since since he uh, tore the injury or tore the knee. So if he doesn't actually play this week, it'll be a full year. That's that's quite a you know quite a bit. Um, but it brings up the question of uh, the future here. If they don't definitively see him or know what he's going to like, has he improved on his technique or has he made strides? They have to make, kind of make a call because Deron Payne is going to be a free agent and mm-hmm. Montez Sweat's open for an extension. Right now, we haven't seen anything, of course. If I tell you you can only pick two of those guys to keep, mm-hmm. meaning Payne, Sweat, or Young, do you have a feel for what you would actually do at this point? Ooh, no, I don't. Um, so you've got the fifth-year option on Chase, which will be pricey. Uh, what's our price tag there? 20 uh, somewhere in the, you know, we, we won't go into numbers, but it's going to be pricey. Um, that's also now non-revocable in the new CBA. Uh, it's it's now guaranteed as soon as you give it out. Yeah. Um, I think you have to give it to him because he's Chase Young um, and because of the potential and what he can be. So I, I think I think you're giving him the fifth year option when when you sign up for that next off season. Um, I don't think you're going to the table on a long-term deal, though. Um, this would ordinarily be the time when you do that with a star first-round pick is, is is now go to the table. I don't think they're headed to that table this offseason. I think it'll be fifth-year option. Let's come back. Let, let's, see, let's see what we got cooking here. Um, which is still, that still kicks it to two years away. You're still two years away from having to make the decision. Payne is interesting because I thought for sure he would not be here this year. Um, after everything that happened during the Cowboys game, after you know they, what was very clearly some bad blood in the locker room down the stretch. He is here. He is dominating. I don't know if him and Jonathan Allen are best friends. Uh, I don't know if they hang out outside of work. I know they're working really well together right now, and they are dominating in a league that is increasingly going back to the run, rediscovering the run this season. Yeah. They're really good at stopping it. Um, he's... None of this is to discredit Montez, who, who's, I, I think, very good as well. But Payne is, I mean, he's he's number one on my list of those three right now at this moment. Yeah, I mean, the tricky part is if you moved on from Sweat in this scenario, now you're banking on that Chase Young is going to be the yeah. guy who can yeah. just buy him. You know, like right now, Montez Sweat leads the entire NFL in quarterback hits. Yep. Um, he's, you know, he's not, he's a, he wishes he had more sacks. But he's been productive, so that's what's interesting um, about all that. I will just say to tie it in with like where this team is from a record perspective, the one way to get around it by in other or in terms of paying them all is if you have a quarterback on a rookie deal. But the best way to get a quarterback, as we all know, is basically to have a top ten pick. And if they're still 
playing to try to win, yeah. then they'll probably be in the range where they've been the last couple of years, and then that sort of puts them in the same boat that they've been in, and that's why all these things connect and what's your plan and yada yada yada. Good, but good feel here, we both agree they're not going to be a top ten pick next year, right? I don't think so. I mean, like last year, uh, they were s- what? Uh, wait, they had the eleven. Wait, they had the eleven. They were not in the top ten last year. Right now, but they had the eleventh pick and then traded down to sixteen. You think I would remember this? But that, that feels right. Right. So I mean, they were close, but and last year was obviously a pretty wacky year for the quarterback situation. Um, but yeah, it doesn't feel like if, if the perception is Bryce Young or yeah. C.J. Stroud, those guys are going to be long gone, 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 and that's where they're at. Um, before I let you go, let's just talk some of the game this week. I'll be honest, like it's almost hard to have a feel. Like football feels like so irrelevant, <laughs> but it, it, you know, as, as we're dealing with the potential sale and what else happened this week. You know, also they're playing at the, the NFL's lone undefeated team, and so thinking that like normally we can say, hey, do you think they're going to win? Okay, we can play that, but on the road Monday night. Against the uh, leagues, Eagles coming off a Thursday game, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, it doesn't feel great. I guess. Do you? You know, you're an optimist like Ron Rivera. Yeah. Do you have a what, what, what's your what's your reason to think that they could win beyond I, the fact that they're one of the two teams playing? I'm not. I'm not going to pick them to win, but there's a path to victory there. That Heineke is not going to get sacked nine times like once was. The offensive line is better than it was in that moment earlier this year. Um, the defense is better than it was earlier this year. I think it's a better football team top to bottom than it was. And I think Scott Turner has done some of his best work on long weeks, and he's got an extra day and a half to prepare here for the Monday nighter. Uh, man, though, the Eagles played Houston, clearly slept, walked through that game. I think the Eagles are basically on a two-week bye here, not even a one-week bye. Um, it's hard not to pick them. Yeah, and I think turnovers are going to be huge. You can say that most weeks. The discrepancy here is pretty ridiculous. According to True Media, the Eagles defense leads the league in turnover rate, 22%. These guys are last, 4.2. Yeah. Uh, you know, they haven't made the big plays. They, it's a very good defense, but it's not one that's making the big game-changing plays. Right. And while Taylor Heineke hasn't thrown a ton of interceptions, it feels like there's a few out there that the other team just hasn't been getting. And you know, clearly the Eagles are doing something right. So. Yeah, I'll, Benjamin St. Juice's interception. Both coaches now, Ron and Jack, have both gone out of their way to mention that they didn't like the call. And I think they're—I don't know that's a fixation on the call so much as an understanding that with that lead and that moment, if you break Kirk with a pick six, they win that game. Yeah, that, that, that's why I like if, if St. Juice touchdown stands, they win. Period. Yeah. That, that's why so many of the proclamations all of us make. It's like one play can yeah. literally change it, the bounce of the ball. And it is it, it, a sport where how many games come down to one possession. It's just insane uh, that, 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 you know, that these people are uh, tasked with with uh, trying to win in these scenarios. Um, anything else? Uh, Taylor Heineke, it's the last game for him before Carson Wentz mm-hmm. is eligible to come back. I, I wrote this week that I think whenever Wentz is eligible, whenever they deem him ready – unless Heineke wins this week or something, mm-hmm. that Wentz is going to go back in the lineup. What, what do you think? I agree with your read. I think that's what Ron wants. I think it's a mistake. You're on a short week going to Houston. That's a game you need to win. If you keep the status quo, keep Heineke, and he loses, that's fine. You can then go to Wentz the next week, um, and nobody argues with it. If you go prematurely to Wentz, though, there's going to be, you know, oh, should he have gone to Wentz? And then Wentz loses, you're in a bad spot coming down the stretch at that point. Uh, I... I'd stay status quo for another week. Uh, 
If you're not a subscriber to the Richmond Times Dispatch, don't stay status quo on that. Go subscribe. <laughs> Michael's got a great uh, idea for a story. It's going to come out on Monday. You'll be excited for this one. It's going to get a lot of uh, Twitter and radio conversation. Um, and uh, that's that. We'll be there in Philly Monday night to, to, to catch this. I'm also not projecting a, a, a win. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. Maybe some of the battles are still outstanding, just like they are in uh, Arizona and Nevada at this point. You never know. Maybe some of the tight ends will be outstanding. But there you go. There you go. <laughs> Michael, always appreciate it. Good to be in the standing room. All right. Not that I've ever claimed to be a smart guy, but I'm definitely not the smartest Ben in this conversation because joining me here to talk about the Washington Commanders from his uh, perch as a, one of the go-to analytics voices out there in the NFL, he is uh, Ben Baldwin at Ben at, – sorry, at Ben B. Baldwin – on Twitter, does some work for The Athletic, among other places. Uh, my guy, how, good to see you again. It's been a minute. How are you? Pretty good. Um, thanks for having me on. Always interested in uh, following this team. For for the listeners who don't know, I, I live in Arlington, Virginia. So for me, the Washington is the local team, and they're I'm not a fan of them, but they are, they are entertaining, uh, perhaps in the wrong reasons, uh, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, no, it, I, I, it would be. I would like to see if I could like go outside of my body and look down on the situation, what I would think about it, as opposed to like, you know, I got to deal with a statement. Yeah. I just uh, <laughs> talk in Wednesday night. They just put out a different statement a few minutes ago and that's created a big stink. So yada, yada, yada. I'll deal with that later. Um, but I appreciate the time. Um, you are, as I said, you really are one of the, uh, the, the go-to voices. I don't want to pigeonhole you as just an analytics guy because you obviously know the game, but that is the kind of the way you contribute typically to the NFL conversation. You put out a lot of interesting, what, what, what do I call them? It's not, they're not graphs or charts. What, what do we call, what do we call these things? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, graphs, charts, figures, um, okay. and anything, yeah, anything like that, I, I think gets the message across. <laughs> okay. So, so you do a great job of this and, you know, there are some typically, we think of Washington in a lot of negative terms because of the offense, but I wanted to go through a few different aspects with you, including some good stuff like the defense, as well as something that Ron Rivera said to us after the game about his timeout usage. Uh, I, I tasked you with that homework. We'll get to that in a second. Let's start with some good stuff. You had a, a, a tweet here with one of your charts and I'm, I can't find it at the moment because I'm unprepared, but basically it said, it shows that Washington is one of the best defenses in the league. And you basically said, if, um, if they had an offense, look out. Yeah. What, what are you seeing? What are the numbers kind of showing uh, from the defense that, that really kind of stands out to you? Yeah. So this, um, this was looking at the percent of times the opponent's offense takes a first and 10 and earns a new set of downs. And, I think Washington is top three, maybe even number two or something like that. So like on, on a serious to serious basis, it's, it's really hard to earn first downs against this team. And this is probably not super surprising to people that have watched the games, but they're like, their defense is not the reason that this hasn't been a great team so far. And it, it's kind of interesting because last, going to last year, people were really high in their defense. They thought it was going to be a competitive team um, with, if, the offense was like decent and, and the defense was really good. And the defense was really disappointing for most of that season, but now they've finally kind of rounded into what everyone thought and that the offense has just been 
um, such a mess that they they aren't. I want to say I don't want to say not competitive because they are competitive in these games, but they're like they're they're the worst team in their division right now, unfortunately for them. Um, tell me if I'm reading this right. They are third. The it's broken down <clears throat> into a few different categories, but in terms of defensive series results, ser- I guess series that have a touchdown or first down, it, it's it shows up as si- Washington is third or tied for third at sixty six percent. So am I right? That's saying that on 66% of the times a team may get a touchdown or a first down, but that's significantly better than say Detroit dead last at 79%. Uh, we're reading that right. Yep. That's exactly right. So can you, you're, I don't know when you're looking at the numbers, can you point to anything beyond that that says what is it that's making them so successful? I mean, obviously Deron Payne and John Allen are having pretty impressive seasons um, up front, but, they were giving up a lot of yards the first two games of the year and things have turned around. Can you keep sort of point to anything that maybe from your end stands out? Yeah, I, I think I would have to dig into that a little bit more to be able to answer, but that's like, as you mentioned, they they started out struggling and kind of rounded into form. And that, that's one thing with defenses. It's really hard to like pin down which defenses are good or which def- defenses are going to be lastingly good and, like it, it can change so quickly where a defense is really good or a defense is really bad. We've seen this with the Seahawks this year. And it I, I think defense is like, especially from an, an analytics quote unquote point of view, it, it's really hard to pin down like the factors that drive good defenses and um, why defenses are good, why defenses stay good or don't stay good. And it, I think it's uh, a, a bit of a mystery at, at this stage. I mean, one thing that stands out to me is, um, you know, there's so many layers to what a, a good defensive line can do for you. Obviously, we focus on yep. sacks, stuff in the run, but also it's taking on blockers and allowing the players behind them to make plays. And last year, like Jamin Davis, for example, wasn't making any plays. And, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't say he's a fully formed linebacker at this point, but at the same time, every game now, there's a player or two where he's making, you know, a, a tackle behind the line of scrimmage or just showing his athleticism to, to track somebody down. And I think that's the type of thing that can get, I don't know if it gets lost, but like, you know, it can get overlooked when you're just focusing on sacks and, 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 and uh, things along those lines. So I, I, to me, like that's really made the difference And right. I mean, this is why you invest in line on both ends of the ball, frankly, because it's not just what they're doing. They more than almost anybody else makes everybody else better. Yeah, for sure. If you can make the quarterback uh, hurry through his process or get rid of the ball before he wants to. It, it, it makes things so much easier uh, for the back line. And, and again, this, this was a theory for why people thought they were going to be good last year. And it, it didn't really work out that way, but now, now we're finally seeing it um, a year later. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think uh, I had more questions. I had questions some of their 2020 numbers because watching them play, I never always, I never felt like, boy, this is a shutdown defense. And then, in the postseason game against Tampa Bay, the Bucks had over 500 yards of offense. And, you know, it's hard to look at a team and say, I get Tom Brady's pretty good. But, like, if you're a good defense, you can't do that. And then, of course, last year things did fall apart, which is why I had questions coming into this year. And uh, they, they've uh, been better, though, uh, than expected, certainly better than they were at the start of the year. Um, is there anything else from you that, kind of stands out about the defense anything from you from your from your numbers or anything else good or bad that kind of jumps out to you about Washington uh, I think the one other thing is if you look at football outsiders DVOA they're 
Um, their rushing defense is second against the run, so it, it, teams just cannot run the ball against them. And, and going back to the defensive line, that that's perhaps not a surprise, but that that really is the strength of the defense. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go to the other side of the ball. Less fun over there. Uh, and not surprising, but, you know, Carson Wentz, now Taylor Heineke, they're very different quarterbacks, but on some weird level, they kind of both get to the same spot, which is, eh, <laughs> you know, no, no, nothing <laughs> nothing that crazy. Um, you have a bunch of different numbers uh, uh, that, that, that show offense uh, proficiency or lack thereof. Doesn't have to be just about the quarterbacks, but does anything kind of stand out for you this season as to why Washington is kind of where it is with, with the offense? Yeah, I think one thing is, I thought the offensive line would be a lot better than it has been this year. Um, they were, according to both PFF grades and ESPN's pass block win rate, a, a really good unit last year, and and they had some turnover. But the the guys they got into re- brought in to replace those who left like shouldn't have been that much worse. So if if I were a Washington fan trying to talk myself into Carson Wentz before the season, which yes is perhaps an up uphill climb, I, I would have said. Offensive line is, is probably a lot better than what he had with the Colts um, last year, and their receivers are probably better too. So like maybe he has a chance to lead a passable offense. And I don't know why the offensive line hasn't been as good as we probably maybe should have expected going into the year based, based on who they had, but that's been a bit of a disappointment. And then Carson Wentz, perhaps Frank Reich made him look a little bit better than he actually was last year, but he he's kind of... Um, or he, I guess I can talk about in the past since now he, he was perhaps back to the level of his last Eagles year. And that's like, it's really hard to win football games when your quarterback is playing like that. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, (laughs) I I think it was hard to just look at them and think they would be as good of a line as they were the previous year, simply because Brandon Sheriff was gone, Yeah, Uh, you know, and you know, it's hard to replace a guy, you know, multi-time pro bowler and all pro things like that. Um, but then on top of it, the two guys that they brought in to play guard, Andrew Norwell and Trey Turner, really have not been particularly sharp, particularly earlier in the year. Then they lose their center, Chase Rouillet, to, we don't know definitively if it's a season-ending knee injury, but kind of seems like we're headed that direction. And then right tackle Sam Cosme, when he's been playing before his injury, uh, kind of was underwhelming. Yep. Other than Charles Leno, it's been not the most consistent of a group. And obviously the, that does impact things. And then when you have a guy like Carson Wentz, whose decision-making in the pocket is not a strength to say the least. Um, It only makes things that much worse. Um, But when we talk about, you know, quarterbacks, you know, obviously the, I mean, this is a really bad year for quarterbacks, although uh, I know you're a fan of uh, the Seahawks (laughs) and they they apparently have the greatest quarterback of all time now and Geno Smith. Um, But like, you know, how do you, for you, can you do separate or can you, what the quarterbacks bring the, themselves, and then if so, what what do you kind of see with Wentz and or Heineke as to what they're doing or not doing to help this offense? Yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty clear that they're both like they're both not long term starter level players, and um, it, it's going to be the um, X year in a row that Washington's going to be trying to figure out its quarterback situation after Kirk Cousins and um, the it'll be interesting to see which direction they go because I, I don't think the, the, the long-term starter is, is on the roster right now. No, I, I wouldn't think so. Um, <laughs> just to broaden this out quickly w- about the quarterbacks, I, th- I think it's pretty obvious that the NFL pl- 
overall this year, the performances around the league, just team to team, were pretty mediocre. Uh, you know, you've got you know your Kansas Cities or Buffaloes and Philadelphia, and then there's always the, the, the two or three teams who are just absolutely putrid. But then, like the middle this year is really just underwhelming. It's why even at four and five, I I can't just sit here and say Washington, <laughs> even with whoever's at quarterback, is it completely out of the wild card mix because it, it's really not that much in front of them. Do you see any kind of a trend? Do the or, you know? Do your numbers show any kind of a trend as to why play collectively seems to be down, or is it just hey, Russell Wilson's not as good as people thought, or Aaron Rodgers is hitting a hitting a, a, a you know Father Time's beating him down, or what? What do you kind of see there? Yeah, I think there's definitely a, a collection of things. So one that people have looked into a lot is as the league and as defenses have realized. Um, how much more efficient passing is and especially deep passing is than rushing. There's been a trend towards playing these two, two high coverages where um, teams are saying, we're, we're not going to let you deep. And it, if you want to run the ball or take this underneath stuff, then like, yeah, you might move slowly up the field, but we're going to, we like our chances of getting a stop there better than if, like, if you're hitting bombs over the top of us. And I think there probably is something to that, uh, but there's also Matt Ryan has gotten older and does not look very good anymore. Um, and perhaps the same thing is happening to Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson and uh, Matthew Stafford, all, all these quarterbacks that are um, getting up there in age. Um, if, if you, if you ignore the the age at, uh, at which Tom Brady has been playing um, <laughs> successfully. So yeah, I, I think there's a combination of factors and to the point about Washington not being out of it. Yeah. They, they, they just were in a dogfight against the Vikings who are the number two team in the NFC that only has one loss. So if you think the Vikings are up there in the NFC and, and Washington can compete with them, then yeah, they're, it, it, it's reasonable that they're going to be in a lot of games and aren't it, not at the bottom of the league for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For, for, for sure. <laughs> um, I told you that I wanted to, to bring up an, a, the end of game situation that Washington faced the other day with regards to Ron Rivera and um, when he chose to use a timeout. But before I get to that, like, I'm just curious, like you are, you know, as I said, you are on the front lines when it comes to this, you know, analytics conversation that happens all the time where some people think it's the gospel. You should always follow the numbers and other people think, Oh my Lord, come on, really? Just play football. We, we, you know, we, we don't need numbers to tell us what to do all the time, or you should always go for fourth downs or whatever the deal is. Do you do you enjoy this? Do you think it's incredibly annoying, or where are you like this this constant referendum on analytics, seemingly every game? I I think well, yeah, I wouldn't engage with the topic if I didn't find it interesting slash somewhat enjoyable most of the time there there's sometimes where there there are people that are clearly not interested in learning about like what goes into how the model spits out numbers and like if somebody has decided ahead of time that they don't care about any of this then i i at least tell myself that i have matured enough to not like engage with them and, and try to be um, helpful explaining to people who are actually interested in it, even even if they don't think that or agree with every decision, if they are genuinely curious about what goes into the model or why it's making a certain recommendation, then yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk to people. But if they say this model is wrong because it doesn't take into account 
field position or like other things that are obviously in the model and very easy to measure, then that's when I kind of start checking out of a conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I can, I can imagine from the plane you're looking at it. If people are just talking from pure ignorance, it's like, ugh, okay, I can't even have a, a reasonable conversation. All right, let, let's see what we can do here. So near the end of the game against Minnesota, uh, it's a tie game, 17 all Minnesota though has the ball. At the Washington's four yard line, it's it's third and goal, about two twenty five to go. Uh, they're in position to kick the uh, the go ahead field goal, which they ultimately did, obviously, and uh, to win the game. But the question was, Washington had a timeout to use and when to use it, and Ron Rivera chose to not use it before the two minute warning. So the clock ran down, and uh, Minnesota then, you know. They get stopped on third. They kick the field goal. We'll ignore what happened after that, where Washington was called for a penalty that gave them a new new set of downs, and they really ran the clock down. But here's what Ron Rivera said when asked about uh, about not using his timeout before the two-minute warning. He said, quote, that's all about the analytics. I have a guy that's got the chart going through the numbers, and that's what happened. I mean, look what happened. If we don't get the foul, we get the ball back with a little under two minutes. It pretty much works the same. But I didn't know he was going to throw the ball, meaning Kirk Cousins, and throw the incompletion. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Again, we have a guy who has all the charts upstairs. The charts told us not to call the timeout, end quote. Um, okay, I, I, I personally think Ron Rivera is not a big fan of the analytics. I think he says things like this to sort of, look, you guys want me to follow analytics. Everybody loves analytics, so that's what I'm saying. But that said, the question a bunch of us had is, is that actually what the analytics say to do? We don't have fancy charts like you, so that's why I'm asking you. What 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 is what is your thinking here? What do the numbers show if you have such numbers about that exact situation? So here is my guess about what Washington actually does. So you... During, so during a game, you can't like input numbers into a win probability calculator or something like that because you like you can't use technology or anything. So you have you have to prepare ahead of time. So this is why they're talking about charts because you have to look. You have to have like something written down that you can refer to, and not be like checking the internet or running computer programs or something like that. So for a what would a chart look like if we're talking about timeout usage? My guess would be that they have something like if. If you're trailing and need to get the or potentially trailing and need to get the ball back and on the other side of the two minute warning here, here's the cutoff for when you would want to burn a timeout. And maybe if it's this close to the two minute warning, you're not saving this much time. So since you're under the cutoff, just let the clock run down and save your timeout. That's with no with zero inside information from this team. That's my best guess about what would happen. With, the, with all that said, I tried plugging this into my own win probability model, um, and, and it, it, it actually said that they they made the correct choice by a, a slight margin, so it, it was like a one percentage point win probability difference, um, meaning that it, it's better to be at the two-minute warning still having their timeout in their back pocket relative to using their final timeout with 225 left to stop the clock. So I fully agree that we've seen a lot of evidence about Ron Rivera not caring about what the analytics say on fourth downs. But in this case, it's more of like a user timeout or don't use your timeout, which is, um, it feels like less of a case of taking the decisions out of the coach's hands 
uh, relative to like going for it or not going for it, which is a, a really big difference. Where here it's just calling a timeout or not, which, which feels like less of a big deal and more of a uh, something that maybe he's more willing to defer to the quote unquote analytics on. Right. I mean, just trying to think about this at a very base level. If there's 225 to go and you call a timeout, okay, you're saving the 25 seconds in the short term before the, you know, before the next play or whatever. Uh, but if you wait till after the, well, if you wait till after the two, if you use the timeout in head and don't use it afterwards, the other team can run off the whole play clock if they choose to, right? If they're going to kick a field goal, you could even take the five yard penalty hypothetically, right? You're that close. So that's more time than it would be on the front end. That's where I'm always sort of like, I, from a pure time standpoint, I get waiting, but I also sort of get the argument for using the two minute, like get yourself, make have the two minute warning be there for you and not just for them. Yeah. And because it's 225, it's, it's more of a gray area because you're like, it's not like if it was, 240 and they could run the whole clock down it's it's kind of like halfway in between what the play clock is so that's what makes it an, an interesting situation where i don't think it, it was super obvious what to do and his comment about like if it, it worked out the same either way i think is um yeah could predicate it on them if if they had run the ball but, but they chose to pass and then the penalty happened so it it kind of didn't end up mattering in that anyway yeah, 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 for, for for sure. Um, Ben, I you know, I would love to to keep talking, as you know, as we were discussing, that it never ends over here on this beat. So I gotta go deal with some stuff. But I hope to have you back on at some point and, and definitely, I mean, like I highly recommend following Ben on Twitter at Ben B Baldwin. Uh you know, follow him every day, but especially like on like Monday, Tuesdays, when he puts out all the the really interesting numbers and, and, and graphs and so on. Some of them should paint a good picture for Washington in some cases. In other cases, you know, maybe not. Um, really appreciate it. Hope, uh, you know, now that we're out of the uh, pandemic world, hopefully I can uh, see you around town once uh, once we get through the season of nothing else. But uh, we'll see what happens. Thanks for having me. Always good to chat. Yeah, man.